So I have heard a lot of bad arguments in my life. I have probably made a lot of bad arguments in my life. And I have noticed that when someone makes a bad argument and they're challenged and questioned, they tend to go, in my experience, kind of one of two ways. They're either teachable or they're stubborn. They're either teachable or they're stubborn. If they're teachable, they listen. They think about what you're saying. There's where that goes. All right. They think about what you're saying, <laughs> and they are willing to see the possible errors in the arguments that they've made and change their mind. Uh, I like talking to teachable people. They're easy to talk to. I, like to, I want to be a teachable person. It does require some humility, some thoughtfulness, some being willing to be wrong, uh, which is not in you know, a lot of supply these days. Many of the people I have argued with, however, are the other type, the stubborn type. For those people, there really is no changing their minds. If you are wondering whether this is true, just go on social media and engage with absolutely anyone um, and see how many people's minds you've changed. I've, I've seen social media now for a long time. I don't know if I've ever seen someone say, you know what, you're right. I'm going to think about that differently now. That's just not what you ever see, right, in the comments. That just doesn't happen. Um, they tend not to listen, right? They tend not to listen except to wait for their next turn to talk. They're listening for their way to get in and say the next thing they want to say. They tend to refuse to admit that their arguments have issues and change from one argument to the next, to the next, to the next, until they can find the one that will win for them. They're trying to win. They're not trying to learn. They're trying to win. One of the tactics I see used by stubborn folks, stubborn arguers, is what I call argument by volume. It is, it's a pretty simple tactic. Um, what they do is they simply get louder and louder and louder until you sort of give in, right? They just argument by volume. The more they get pushed back, the louder they get. I also call it coming over the top, sort of like they take where we're at and then they just kind of come over the top with a lot of anger and energy and, and loudness and bring in that frustration and volume to their aid. Now, this does not necessarily change the mind of the person they're arguing with, but it may get the person to agree with them so that they don't further offend or upset the person who's getting loud. That's what usually happens. So if you're an argument by volume person and you think you're winning a lot of arguments, what you're really doing is getting a lot of people who don't really want to spend much time with you anymore. We're like, yeah, sure, you're right. Okay. Okay. Right? That's what you're getting. Uh, it doesn't really change minds. Uh, let me tell you something you may not know. If you are correct about something, you know that you're correct, you should be able to explain it and defend it without resorting to anger, frustration, and yelling. You should be able to do that. It may be that there is a time and a place for righteous anger and yelling and all that, but a conversation with people is rarely that place, unlikely to normally be that place. I have noticed that this has become sort of the norm for arguments about the two things that you don't talk about at a family gathering, right? Religion and politics. So these days, if, you get, if you're talking about those things, you probably got somebody with the argument by volume tactic going on, if not everybody. And so it seems like, like so much of the discourse on those topics is about sort of coming over the top. It's a lot of anger, a lot of yelling. It's really, honestly, it's pretty tiring. I don't know how many of you are just like kind of tired of that whole thing. But I'm just like, okay, all right. I don't want to talk to anybody anymore about anything because of the way people are. 
It's not the way to seek truth. It's not the way to seek truth. When the Pharisees would question Jesus, Jesus would use wisdom to speak truth to them. He would use wisdom to speak truth to them. Some people will, will point out, but wait a second. Didn't Jesus turn over the tables in the temple? Isn't that what he did? And they'll say, that's evidence that I also should use that tactic when I'm arguing. I should yell and scream and turn over tables and do the whole thing. And, and here's what I'd say. Jesus did turn over the tables in the temple because he was zealous for the house of the Lord. He did not, as you may have read, go into the brothel, the tax uh, house, and whatever, and turn over tables there. He wasn't going into the world and trying to upend all the things they were doing that way. He was speaking truth to them with wisdom. Yes, for his own house. If we, if we in this church start to dishonor God and dishonor Scripture, I hope you do turn over tables. But that doesn't mean that you should go out to the PTA meeting and start turning over tables, right? Some of those they have the good cookies on them too, so don't do that. That's a, <laughs> wait until the cookies are gone before you turn the table over. He knew people were sinful and broken, and he called them to repentance by preaching the truth. What I have seen in my lifetime is the world sort of more and more coming over the top, more and more argument by volume. This is, what, this is how they deal with Christians. This is how the world deals with Christians. They've begun to argue by volume in the past few decades. And Christians, from what I've noticed, fall into sort of one of two camps. One camp is to do the thing that every arguer by volume wants you to do, and that is to just agree so that you don't offend them anymore. So I see some Christians when people are, are saying this is how it should be and Christians are wrong and whatever, I see them sort of cowering to that. I'm like, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to upset anybody. So I'll just agree. Other Christians I see sort of going the other way. And it's like, you're going to argue by volume, then I'm going to argue by volume, right? And you get sort of this very angry uh, pushback from believers. It's like, if they're going to do it, then I'm going to do it. The problem with that is then they look at you and go, you're such a hypocrite. I'm allowed to, do, to act like that because I'm not saying I believe the Bible, but you're saying you do. So when you act like that, you're just coming down to my level, right? You don't want to do that. You don't want to go down to the other person's level. So neither one of these really works. You don't want to just agree with what they're saying so that you don't offend them, but you also don't want to act like them and argue by volume. So there's probably another way to do that. Very few people are convinced by volume. It's just a way to, quote-unquote, win the battle. That's what that is. Now, we started a teaching uh, series last Sunday called Controversy, the tough passages of the Bible. We're walking through some of the passages of the Bible that people find difficult to understand or difficult to defend to critics of Christianity. And today, Lord willing, we're going to get through two more passages. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, we probably will only get through one because I talk for a long time. But we may get through two more passages. Uh, and these are the other couple of what I'm calling the popular controversies. So last week was Matthew 7, 1, right? Judge not lest you be judged. This week there's a couple more popular controversies. Meaning these are verses that just come up a lot. And, and sort of people talk about them and they talk about them wrongly. And so if you are a believer, you need to understand how to defend these. One of these is really just a bad argument, and the other one is actually just a bad interpretation of Scripture. And so let's, let's work through it because what you need to understand is that you are called and required as a Christ follower to defend the faith. When people come to you 
and even the angry volume people and all the rest, they come to you. That's your opportunity to defend the truth of the faith. Listen, 1 Peter 3, 3, 13 through 17. There's Bibles in the chairs in front of you if you want one of those Bibles. If you don't have one at home, take one of those home. That's our gift to you. You don't owe us anything. You're welcome to follow along in those or up on the screen or on your phone or however people do that these days. I like the paper ones. They're nice. But this is what 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17 says. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. When they come over the top, when they've got volume, when they're telling you that if you don't agree with them, you're a bad person, you're on the wrong side of history, whatever it is, don't be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, with reverence, right? Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. You need to know the Bible yourself so that you know what you believe. You also need to know how to think and defend the gospel and the scripture and truth and morality with arguments. There are so many broken people who need Jesus. They're lost, and he's there to find them. We need to be his body, the church, and we need to learn to defend the faith. I am very tired of seeing Christians be essentially bested by terrible worldly arguments because we haven't put the time in to being serious about understanding what we believe and being able to explain it. That means that you should talk to people kindly, thoughtfully, and lovingly. When it says meekness and fear, it's reverence, right? Because these are people who are made in the image and likeness of God and therefore need his love. They are not your enemies, okay? Our enemies are the principalities and powers of the air, Satan and, and his whole thing. We, and Christ has already defeated them. These people are deceived. You need to show them love. They are made in the image and likeness of God. And just like you were once lost, they are. And just like you've been found, they need to be. First verse I want to deal with is in the book of Leviticus. Hmm, fun. Everybody likes Leviticus, you know what I'm saying? In this section of Leviticus, the law for the Israelite people is set out for the Hebrews. Uh, these laws were, were set out specifically to set the people of God apart from the peoples around them, right? They'd come out of Egypt, they're going into Canaan. Both of these groups of peoples are vile in the things that they do. And so God sets out this law. We're starting in Leviticus 18, 1 through 5. This isn't the controversial verse, but I want to give you some context. It says this, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God, according to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. So the Lord is being clear about a number of things. I am the Lord, he says, means 
You follow me. We don't get to make up our own thing, nor do we get to go and follow the ways of the world. See, they came out of this idolatrous nation, all kinds of idol worship and, and vile immorality going on, and some of them wanted to go back that direction. They're going into Canaan, which is as vile as you can imagine. I won't even talk about how vile it was. But God is happy to set out all these things and to be specific about all these things to say, you cannot be like them. This is the same thing for us. He is the Lord, and he tells us what we are to do. You may not like it. There are some things that God would like us to do that I don't like. I would rather do it my own way. But what I have found consistently is when I do, bad things happen because he is the Lord. And so he says that many times here and says, this is what I'm laying out for you. And what follows that are statutes or laws, okay, that are set out by God on a variety of topics regarding moral, judicial, and ceremonial issues, okay? So we have this law for the Israelites, and some of it is moral law, some of it is judicial law, some of it is ceremonial. So the, the moral is stuff that applies to all people at all times and all places, always has been, always will be. The ceremonial had to do with things that were about being holy or separate from the peoples around them and, and things like ordinances for the priests and how they were supposed to do stuff. And the judicial was about how we deal with in a, in a nation like Israel, which was, which was a theocracy, God was in charge. How do you deal with the punishments and so on for people who violate God's law? So all of those parts of the law are in this section that we're starting to read, okay? There are some different views among Christians regarding which of these laws still apply today. Some people go as far as, say, like Orthodox Jewish folks, and they're like, it all applies. We gotta follow all of it, which, which just means they haven't read the New Testament. I, I don't even know how you could possibly come to that conclusion. Nevertheless, there are some who think that. There are some who think, hey, there's this much or that much. But almost all believers agree that the ceremonial law is, is done away with, was fulfilled in Christ. The judicial law was about the Israelites at that time in the theocracy and is not about us today, but that the moral law is always true. The things that God says about morality were true then, they're true now. Okay, so that's, that's where we are. Now, the place this comes up in popular conversations and arguments is, is here in Leviticus chapter 18 and then in chapter 20. But I'm going to read these verses to you. So get ready. Leviticus 18, 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20, 13. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now, I don't know if you know this, but this is a controversial issue in our society today. You probably know that. In the second verse, we actually see both a moral law and a judicial law, by the way. You see the moral law, if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination, and the judicial law, they shall surely put to death, their blood shall be upon them. By the way, being put to death and your blood being upon you was the punishment for lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of violations of the law. In fact, I have serious doubts that most of us if we were under this law, would not have done something that required a death sentence. And that's kind of the point. That's kind of the point that's being made here. The same punishment used for many crimes, all, all sexual sins, 
that, that were involved were there, as well as all kinds of things like children. If you've been real bad to your parents, they'd stone you, right? It's rough. Like, it was rough. The point was, the point of the law was that we all deserve death. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is the law that teaches us or tutors us about our grave situation because of our sinfulness and our need for Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that we can have because of his death and resurrection. Listen to what the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to write in Galatians 3. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. There's a lot going on right here. But the bottom line is the law was showing us that we cannot be holy on our own. We are sinners, as the scripture says, as I just read, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death, but that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the deal. The law tutors us. It draws us to the Lord. But the law, in terms of ceremonial laws and so on, that helped teach us, the whole sacrificial system is what taught us. He was the real sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, all that. But it was all fulfilled in him. It was all fulfilled. We are taught by the law how wicked and abominable we are. Welcome to Acts Church. I, I know that people don't like to hear this kind of stuff, and, and sometimes I, I sort of hear like, hey, maybe if we would be a little more feel-goody, like that would help maybe draw more people to the church and we could do more stuff. And, more, and I think to myself like, no. It's just not the Scripture. Right? we got to tell the truth. I understand it's uncomfortable, but this is reality. We are taught by the law, by the word, how wicked and abominable we are. That we might, through the fulfilling of the law by Jesus Christ and his payment of our penalty by his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection and promise of eternal life, be reconciled to God and have our sins be forgiven and made white as snow. You can't get to sins forgiven and white as snow unless you understand that you're a sinner. And that's what the law did. But when we are forgiven and transformed and made new in Christ, we are to give up that which was abominable. We're to give it up. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, it's people who have sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, people who worship idols, nor adulterers, you know what that is, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were all of us. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's the gospel. That we were that. And that we were washed. We were justified. We were sanctified by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The scriptures tell us who we were, 
But when we confess the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we were saved. We were washed. We were sanctified. We were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's what happened. But to act as though the stuff that we were isn't real and isn't bad is to miss the entire gospel and the glory of it. What do you think Jesus came for? Because we were all really good, so we thought he'd become a man and die for us? Ridiculous. He came because what, what he experienced is what we deserved. And he wanted to save us. The reason people bring up these verses in Leviticus, the reason they are popular controversy, is based on some of the other verses in Leviticus. So I'm going to walk you through this. For instance, I'll give you one. Leviticus 19, 19. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. So the argument basically goes like this. You say that homosexual sex is wrong because the Bible says it's an abomination in Leviticus. But it also says that a garment of mixed linen and wool is wrong to wear or eating shellfish or pork is wrong. Those are in the law too. But you think it's okay to mix fabrics and eat shellfish and pork. Therefore, you must also think it's okay to have homosexual sex. That's the argument, okay? Rarely is it put out that cleanly, but that's basically the argument. Oh, you think this is wrong, then you must also think these other things are wrong. That's sort of the way it goes. That's what makes it controversial. And a lot of Christians don't really know how to answer that. They're like, yeah, that's true. We do think that one's wrong, but we don't do the pork thing anymore because bacon, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The gift of God to every man and woman, you know. I have enjoyed the gift. Enjoyed the gift. There are a lot of problems with that argument. Let's start with what is possibly right about the argument, okay? If it was true that homosexual sex was only prohibited in Leviticus 18.22 and in Leviticus 20.13, where we read, then there would be a legitimate question why the other things prohibited in Leviticus would not be followed, right? Assuming that there is a list, why would we say that some things in the list are bad still, but some are fine now? Why would we say that if there truly was just a list? Now, I've already given you the reason why, by the way. Some of the things in the list would still be binding and others would not. Okay. The reason is we don't have a list. We actually have at least three lists. Moral law, judicial law, right, and ceremonial law. Two of the three of those we know have been fulfilled. It's very clear have been fulfilled, and the scripture is very clear about the one, the moral law, which this, this stuff falls into. All the laws about stealing and, and coveting and, and sexual morality, and all those are all in the moral law. Those are all things that are true, were true, are true, will be true. Those, those stay, okay? but the other ones don't. But I can see why they make the argument. It sounds clever if you don't understand the scripture, which is why you need to understand the scripture. The moral laws are still binding. Whether or not they're written in Leviticus does not matter. We know it's written on our heart. We know the moral laws. The moral law in the Old Testament also includes laws against rape and murder and stealing. No one who, I've never, and I've had a lot of clients, and for those of you who know, I was, I'm originally an attorney, and I'm trying to make up for that by doing this. So, <laughs> I've had a lot of clients who were accused of stealing. Not one of them ever said, ever, well, stealing is in the Old Testament law, but it also says you can't eat pork, and judge, do you eat pork? Because if you do, you can't say I'm wrong for stealing. Nobody said that. Why? Absurd. It's absurd. We all know that stealing is wrong. We all know that lots of things are wrong. 
In this case, we're talking about moral law. Okay? The, the laws on eating shellfish and pork, those were fulfilled. And in fact, you can read in Acts 10, Acts chapter 10, if you want to take some time and do that, write that down. You can read about how the Lord showed that all those kinds of laws were done. There is not a list of the same kinds of laws where we're ignoring some and agreeing with some. There, is, there are multiple lists, and the list that we say continues, and that Christ says continues, and that the New Testament says continues, are the moral laws. Okay? The other problem is that homosexual sex is not just forbidden in the Old Testament. It is forbidden in the New Testament as well. Okay, we already read a verse just, just a second ago in 1 Corinthians 6, but there's more. Romans 1, 24-32. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worships and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Then it goes on to much more than just homosexual sex, but other kinds of moral evils. You usually find this in a list of moral, of moral sins. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. It's not just homosexuality. I'm not here. I'm bringing this up because this is a controversial passage. I'm not here to just talk about homosexuality. The moral law is the moral law. And it's laid out here, all the things, all the ways. And if, if, you, if you think that none of these apply to you, you are kidding yourself. Ask your spouse, they'll tell you. Or your mom, or somebody. They'll tell you. You're, you're on this list, brothers and sisters. You're on this list, because we've all done these things. Now, here's the thing. There's a difference between doing them, recognizing their evil, coming to the cross and the resurrection, making Jesus Lord, and becoming a Christ follower and being clean and doing them and acting like it's okay. Or you stop doing them because of all those other things, but you, as it says here, approve of those who practice them. This is a big problem. It's very easy to approve of those who practice them because you can get along. People don't like being called to account. But we are not to approve of those who practice those things, any of those things. 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, which all of us were, by the way, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, that's homosexuals, people who have homosexual sex, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Okay? The law is good if one uses it lawfully. But who is law for? The law is for those who are doing evil. That's who it's for, to show them, to bring them to Christ. And it includes all of these things. 
Here again, you have a list of moral evils. In multiple places, you will see in the New Testament where you have a list of moral evils, and homosexuality is included in that list, just like it's included in the list of moral evils in the Old Testament, because those, those things are the same. Morality is the same in both places, okay? It's a moral evil from one end of the scripture to the other. So the argument based on shellfish simply doesn't work. It doesn't work. There's another problem for those who want to make the arguments about Leviticus and how the Bible really doesn't say anything about homosexual sex. There's a problem for them. There is a model for sexuality that is set out, established from literally the beginning to the end of Scripture. From the beginning to the end of Scripture, the same model. Genesis 2.24. You'd be on like page 2 of your Bible. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the model. God sets it out with creation. This is the created order. It's how he made you. That if you're going to engage in sexuality, it is in the context of a man who's left his father and mother and been joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's what God set out. It never changes, nor is there any suggestion that there is another way that God is pleased with other than this. Here's Jesus. This is in Matthew. Matthew 19, 3 through 5. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, he made them, this is important, this is the creator, he made them at the beginning, made them male and female. That answers that question, if you have it still, okay? Male and female. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Once again, Jesus is putting his stamp on what the Old Testament has already said, that there is one model in the created order for sexuality. Here's the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father or mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There is no other model in Scripture. It doesn't need to say a word about all the things it says about sexuality. You know why? Because it is implied by this that anything other than this is against the created order. So when people want to use the Scripture to try to attack back, to try to prove things that you know are bad for them and are wrong and are harming them, try to prove that those things are okay, this is all you need. God has set things up. We are constantly, this is what sin is about, we are constantly pushing back against the created order on, on many things. When you lie, you push back against the created order, right? When you steal, when you treat somebody poorly, you push back against the created order. Why? Because these people that you're harming are made in the image and likeness of God. And he intends for you to treat them like he does, lovingly. So anything you do that isn't loving is pushing back against the created order. But there are some particular sins that are actually straight up violations or perversions of the created order. And you could be tempted to any of these things, whether it's lying or stealing, homosexual sex, or not homosexual, but outside of a marriage sex, or whatever. All these things, those are all moral laws that go against God's created order and the way he has made you to thrive. To act like we're not going to talk about it. 
or we're going to ignore it, or you can yell loud enough to make me not tell you what's true in love with meekness and fear and reverence for you. Because I understand people struggle with this. There are that almost certainly, based on statistics, there are people in this room who struggle with same-sex attraction. Let me explain something to you. I love you. I love you. God loves you. He's not here. We're not here to condemn you. We're here to draw you to the Lord. But I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it's okay. This is not just for those who struggle with homosexual desires. If you are doing what is sexually immoral, you got a porn problem, you're cheating on your spouse, you got a fantasy life that's gone the wrong way, whatever it is, I love you. But I'm not going to lie to you about what's right and what's wrong. And I'm not going to act as though what you're doing is okay or approve of you for doing those things. What I'm going to do is I'm going to call you to repentance just as God has called me to repentance. That you might be saved. That you might be washed clean. The Bible is clear. The controversy may be popular. Shellfish, it's like shellfish. No, it's not. It's a very bad argument. There are plenty of reasons inside and outside of the Bible why homosexual sex is harmful and against the created order. So on that particular popular one, it's off. People want to have a conversation about these things they can. It's fine. Use the Bible, don't use the Bible, that's fine. People want to have that. But I seriously would warn you not to mock God's moral law. Don't do it. Don't mock God's moral law. Just because you don't understand something doesn't mean there is no logical explanation for it. The problem is that when the world gets loud, too often, Christ followers get quiet. If you are too afraid of the consequences of offending people by speaking the truth in love, then who is going to speak to the people who God has put in your life? If you're worried about the consequences, you're worried about the way they might treat you, you're worried about the way that you might come off, and so you don't speak, who's going to speak to them? If you're afraid that if you stand for the truth that people will stop talking to you, I'm just going to tell you, they might. You might have a daughter, a son, sister, a brother, a friend who will stop talking to you because of what you believe. It's possible. If you're afraid you might get made fun of, you might. You probably will. This is a reality. I'm not going to pretend like if you do the right thing here, if you understand the scripture, if you say what's right, you're not going to run into difficulties. At some point, if the Lord tarries much longer, there will come a time when I don't know that any of us will be employable if we stand for what's right. But just like the early church, we'll figure it out. One of you's got a garden or something, right? <laughs> figure it out, <laughs> right? I got two huskies, they're big. Well, that'd be good eating for a while if we had to. <laughs> Save me a lot of trouble, they're very hairy. Anyway, my pastor said we're gonna eat his dogs when things get better. <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. If you want that, you can go to Honduras. We find some places that have some of that. Oh. <laughs> Look, it might happen. But you know what? God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. He hasn't. We're Christ followers. We cannot be afraid when we do not have a spirit of fear. We've got we to kick that. 
We had to kick that. Listen, 2 Timothy 1, 7 through 12. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. If you struggle with same-sex attraction, transgender issues, any of that stuff, I just want you to know we love you. We want to be here for you. Just like if you struggle with dishonesty, gossip, slander, envy, lust, pride, selfishness, or any other sin, which, by the way, we all do because we're in these bodies of death. But God has provided a way for us. We love you. We want to help you. We just don't want to tell you it's okay to dishonor God. We don't want to be silent just because the world gets loud. You cannot create your own identity, whatever that is. God has made you in his own image and likeness. He loves you. He has a plan for you. you don't, we don't get to create our own versions of ourselves. Trust me, the one that he made for you, that he thought of before time began for you, is better than anything you can come up with for yourself. He has made you beautifully and perfectly for his purpose for life, for your life. Psalm 139, 13 through 18. For you formed my inward parts. You uncovered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Can you get excited about that? That God's thoughts towards you, if you were to count them, are more than the sand? You've been to the beach. There's a lot of sand. There's a lot of beaches. So there's a lot of sand. God's thoughts are more than you could imagine towards you. He's thinking about you. And you may be thinking, well, I haven't been thinking about him much. Doesn't matter. He's thinking about you because from the beginning, he knew who you were. He created you in his image and likeness with a plan and a purpose. All you need to do is accept him and the purpose that he has for you. He wants so much better for you than you could possibly want for yourself. You've got to let your desires be shaped by the one who made you able to desire. You've got to let your desires be shaped by the one who made you in his own image and likeness. You can be forgiven and free, but we have to stop lying to ourselves about our own sin. 1 John 5, 1, 5 through 10. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We cannot say that our sin is not sin. We cannot say that other people's sin is not sin. We cannot cower to arguments by volume. We cannot cower to what we'd call sophistry, bad arguments made by people who want to do what they want to do and are willing to run over anybody who has the truth. Your job is to hold the truth well. To hold it well. No matter how loud the world gets, the world cannot defeat the word of God. The world cannot defeat the word of God. His word does not return void. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can't be defeated. God's word is perfect and true. And while he has shown us in the scripture where we have fallen short in sin, he has also provided, by himself provided for our salvation, forgiving every sin we confess. We need to humble ourselves before him. We need to confess our sins to him and be healed. We need to stop bowing to the world. I know people are scared these days. I know that things have gotten out of control or it seems that way. It's very easy to become very anxious about what we're dealing with and to sort of almost like wanna, wanna get in close and, and not deal with any of that stuff. Don't say the wrong thing, don't do the wrong thing. Let's just, we'll go be in our little church together on a Sunday morning and during the week, just keep your head down. Just keep your head down. Try to get through it. Don't watch the news too much. It'd be really bad. But here's the thing. You were made to live free. You were made to live completely out loud in Christ with the gospel. You were made to enjoy life. He made life for you to enjoy it. Don't be afraid, guys. The truth will always win. We may all suffer for doing what's right, but I'd rather suffer for doing what's right than suffer for doing what's wrong. And the God who has saved me and who I'm going to be with eternally, I don't want to say that I was ashamed of what he said was true because it was difficult, because people told me I would be on the wrong side of history, whatever that means. We need to follow Jesus. He will give you everlasting life, but you have to trust him. You have to trust his word. Stop making excuses. Stop making bad arguments. You need Jesus. And Jesus is here for you. If you don't know Jesus today, online, in here, he's here for you today. I don't really enjoy talking about things like sexual morality and whatever, because almost every single one of us has, either has struggled with it, is struggling with it, or will struggle with it, depending on your age and where you are. This seems to be the, as, as Dr. David put it once, the flypaper of our generation. It seems to catch everybody up in one way or the other. I'm mostly concerned about the reality of the scripture and the truth of the scripture and that you understand the truth of the scripture and that you're able to defend the scripture because my point isn't about how it's evil to have homosexual sex or sex outside of marriage or to lie or to whatever. It is. Those things are wrong. My point is that there's grace. My point is that God has given us everything we need to have grace in him, but we have to be humble enough to admit it. And your friends and your family, they need Jesus. You will not bring them to Jesus by telling them that what they're doing 
that dishonors God, that dishonors the creative, created order is okay. That's approving of those who do them. The fact is that all those things are things that lead to death. When you don't stand up and in love and true affection speak the truth, you are sending that person one step closer to death because you don't have the guts. Well, hopefully you do have the guts. And hopefully the Lord will strengthen us because we don't have a spirit of fear. We're not going to get into the second one. As I told you, we probably wouldn't. This is what happens. Thank you.